This is Crown Countdown U Radio, Canada's home for college sports on the TSN Radio Network. Podcast. I'm Jim Mullen. He's Gord Randall. Our thanks to our friends at Crown Produce uh, for supporting us in the TV and podcast endeavor, and our friends at CFL Reddit who do all the heavy lifting in terms of getting this out on many, many distribution channels. Now, uh, we were away for a week. Uh, I was overseas in jolly old England, right in central London, in Blackfriars of uh, all places. Um, hadn't been in London for 22 years, I guess. I spent, spent a year and a half living there and then went back and forth for four years doing basketball, of all things. I've never been there. So. You, you need to go. Yeah, You're a guy that needs to go. Yeah, I know I do. Yeah, yeah, for for multitude of reasons. Yeah, you know, the family family is originally from there, and, uh, though well, many generations back. But um, just being such a history guy, I know I could I could spend. Problem is, like, I would run out of money before I'd uh, get bored with the place. You like, would you would run out of money because they got their hand out for everything there. Yeah, uh, you know, every little thing it's gonna cost you. It's a, the central London is a very expensive place. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. to to travel in. Um, my uh, partner Kia, she found out kind of the hard way even the tubes more expensive these days just to get around on a single day pass it's uh 14 quid right which is about you know 21 22 dollars just for a single day pass regardless of when you when you buy it so uh although you know getting the train sorry in, what the hell is a quid uh, it's a pound oh okay why didn't you say that then uh, because I was speaking the parlance of the locals. Okay. <laughs> I just finished telling you, I've never been there. <laughs> I, this is part of your education. This is going to bring you along, so when you step off the plane, you can <laughs> you can hang out with the locals. Actually, we stepped off the plane in Gatwick. Yeah. Man, were we stupid. I, yeah, um, I've, heard, I've heard horror stories about Gatwick. Almost second only to LaGuardia. Um, I like LaGuardia better than Gatwick. Wow. Yeah, that I is, like LaGuardia that is way bold. better than Gatwick. Uh, a matter of fact, uh, uh, fun story about Gatwick. Uh, the producer of FIBA Slam, which was the TV show that I was the line producer of and head writer and, and host of on, on Eurosport, um, uh, we used to, there's five of us that lived in this flat in West One, and uh, we were quite dedicated to our work, but we did a whole lot of travel, and sometimes we'd have to fly out of Gatwick. And and so one night we came up with this idea that we would collect um, uh, air sickness bags from the various uh, airlines that we flew on. And back then in the in the 90s, there were still customized air sickness hmm. bags. Interesting. And the idea was was that we were going to open up a kiosk that was uh, the the World Air Sickness Bag Museum at Gatwick Airport. But it never took off. Hey, we, we, we had collected about 23 different air sickness bags. 
awesome. So as a guy that did international basketball for a number of years and is from yeah. this, this neck of the woods, yeah. um, I know we're supposed to talk football here, but uh, Eli Pasquale passed yeah. away yeah. Uh, last week. Mm -hmm. Can you explain for my generation who missed him what he was all about? Well, he was Steve Nash before there was Steve Nash. Mm -hmm. And Steve Nash will tell you that as well. Uh, the, the thing that, that, that worked against Eli Pasquale was where he was from and where he was playing basketball. Which is Victoria. The University of Victoria. And uh, back then, they didn't take uh, Canadian players all that seriously. You got the odd Lars Hansen that found his way to the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, Jay Triano, uh, you know, played at Simon Fraser, so he faced American competition and got a few NBA tryouts along the way. But Eli Pasquale was... Uh, part of a team that I believe the Ken Shields teams won seven in a row. Uh, they were uh, Dave Smart Carlton teams before there were Dave Smart Carlton teams. That, that's where uh, that model uh, was essentially made. And Kath, Kathy Shields, uh, his wife, won five in a row on the, on the women's side uh, as well at the University of Victoria. Uh, Pasquale was that type of guy that you could, you could run your entire offense through. He, mm -hmm. he, he was the brains of the operation and had, had such a fantastic skill set. And, uh, you know, the 1983 World University Games was, people forget about that now. Mm -hmm. it, it's well buried under mountains of videotape somewhere. Uh, but that's when a very qualified Team USA came into Edmonton and Canada beat them uh, in, uh, in a medal game. Uh, and it was, it was, it was a huge, step for Canadian basketball. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the core of that team was really the UVic team that, yeah. that, that ran through there. And Pasquale was, well, one of the was things, a part of that. One of the things Pasquale was, was, from all the comments I saw, was very fondly remembered for, was he always answered the call when his country came calling. Yeah. Yeah. Which, in our current climate, is, is something that uh, it would be nice if some of the uh, current Canadian basketball stars might, uh, might pay attention to that and how people like that are revered and celebrated in this country. Well, you know, you know, hopefully that lesson makes its uh, way down. I think, uh, you know, you got a guy like Jay Triano out there that uh, uh, more or less always answered the call. By the way, as a coach and a yeah. player. By the way, just, just I know, I, I think we should probably move on from the basketball talk mm -hmm. before we get too much more into it, but just one last comment I had to make while the topic has come up and I have the opportunity. How hilarious is watching Rowan Barrett talk about like guys missing the tournament when his own son <laughs> did not come out for the team. Like, really? I'm sorry. Like, if that happens and you're, and I get it, RJ's just starting his NBA career. He's got some legitimate reasons. Mm -hmm. I get it. But you're, if you can't get your own son to play for the national team you run, mm -hmm. give up. Yeah. yeah. Quit. Yeah, I, I'd agree there. I mean, I remember doing the 1994 World Championships in Toronto. Uh, when Steve Nash played as a 17-year-old, yeah, right. I mean, it, there was still the um, there was still the draw of the Maple Leaf, and and that's the one thing that's left for Canada basketball to solve right now. Yep. Uh, but, you know, well, I remember it was the 2000 Olympics they were in with Steve Nash on the roster, mm -hmm, correct? Mm -hmm. I remember that. I remember being just fascinated by that. And Canada basketball has missed out on untold growth opportunities in this country because they haven't been able to get their best guys out and they haven't been able to come back since. Well, and, and, and outside and, and the GTA because they do so many things well yeah. in central Canada. Yeah, outside uh, that's, the GTA, that's my asterisk on it. In central Canada, oh. they're 
they're one of the few large uh, national sports organizations whose offices are solely focused on the GTA. And, and why not? That, that's where the balance of their, of their numbers are, but I know a number of the other NSOs try to do their best to regionalize themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, there might be a there might be an opportunity out there for Canada basketball to find their way out to the coast here, like Rugby Canada has. Wow, Rugby Canada has done an outstanding job of, of diversifying themselves across the country. Very much so. Now, granted, Rugby Canada is I would say pretty West Coast centric now, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean it's you you have your regions right, like skeleton bobsleigh, the sliding sports have their their regional headquarters in Calgary, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you all anyway. It, it is what it is, but yeah. let's move on to... But, but we're, we're kind of in the, we're in the NSO realm uh, mm -hmm. right now. Um, for those who still don't know, I'm the president of Football Canada, and one of my jobs... They must know by now, you did mention it on the TV side. People don't watch week. TV anymore, do they? Well, people, <laughs> people over 40 do, yeah. Anyway, um, I think some people under 40 still watch TV from time to time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, I'm president of Football Canada, and one of the duties that I have is to go to the uh, IFAF Congress. And IFAF is the International Federation of American Football. Uh, basically, the FIFA or the FIBA or the IAAF of, uh, of football. Uh, the organization is not nearly on the same footing as those organizations. I worked in a wing of FIBA and, and saw, the, uh, saw the money and structure and staffing that they have. Mm -hmm. And uh, IFAF is an organization uh, where at one point last year, after money was pilfered from their uh, bank account by another federation, uh, was down to $16,000, no working staff members, no office. It, it was, it's just really a volunteer shell that's trying to find its way to the 2028 Olympic Games in Los Angeles with flag football. Yep. Like the, the, and, and part of the drive behind that is the National Football League. The National Football League wants to invest in flag football. I think you've seen an echo of that mm -hmm. uh, with the uh, Canadian Football League, with some of their operations focusing on flag programs to get the kids to pick up the football. Mm -hmm. um, my only concern with that is, well, A, it's a positive that you're getting kids to engage in the game at any level. Mm -hmm. uh, but my concern is that, you know, there will be an, uh, somewhat of an abandonment of, of the tackle game. And there's lots of reasons for that. Safety isn't necessarily the biggest reason, though. It's cost. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to do world tournaments and regional tournaments, you're talking $120,000 before you sneeze. Yeah. So, so like, like you need to be fully invested, and if you're taking some of that investment away, things like the World Junior Tournament that you and I went down and covered in Mexico are kind of under threat. Yeah, they're very much under threat. Uh, I mean, the size of roster probably being the biggest uh, obstacle there, as well as the equipment and maintenance costs of the equipment. Um, but yeah, like it's you know, with a flag football team, you can carry a 15-man roster like a basketball team and be just fine. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas in, in tackle, you need that to be 50 mm -hmm. um, plus support staff and, and all that kind of stuff. Getting up so. to about 57, 58 on a, on a traveling crew. You, you can exactly. move two teams on an airplane, basically. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, extremely difficult and tough for some of these national governing bodies to even send teams to. So, 
Yeah, and you know, for instance, for Football Canada, there's there's a huge cost just to go to the United States because the United States is hosting, mm -hmm. and they want to recoup some of their costs because they can't move tickets mm -hmm. in a place like Canton, Ohio, that's saturated with football. Yeah, like at at, at the high school level, at the D two, D three, football Hall of Fame, uh, <laughs> uh, Hall of Fame game, like it, like. There, it's hard for football to find a place at the international level in in with that sort of level of saturation. So it's a hard sell, believe it or not. Well, what they in a need place to continue, that's a cradle of football. What they need them. to continue to do, though, is they need to continue to find markets like Mexico City that are underserved with with high level football. Mm -hmm. um, so Mexico City was a great example because yeah, there is high level football there. There's lots of sports going on in that area, but. In terms of football, there was a bit of a novelty draw for it. Plus, you know, Mexicans are passionate about their country, so that drew them too. But if you go to some place in the heartland of America that doesn't have anywhere near as much competition, say, I don't know, Iowa or North Dakota. That's or what I suggested to USA Football when they, when they discussed with me the possibility of sharing mm -hmm. uh, the 2020 World Championship. You know, um, go I, to, I go made, to a mid-sized city in Japan. Yeah, well, I, the thing that I was suggesting was go to Grand Forks, North Dakota. Yeah. You know, I've been there to, to see the UND facilities. Mm -hmm. The great thing about... They did having, that with the World Junior Hockey Championship. That's right, years and, and it worked really well. Yep. Now, the, 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 the thing with Grand Forks is they've got this beautiful indoor facility that seats about 14,000, but in the summertime... They still have the old stadium that seats 10,000. It's outdoor. They could have outdoor football again. That would be a novelty. You've got a, you've got a small, tight-knit community with a, with a great volunteer base mm -hmm. that, could, that, that, could, uh, that could service a, a world tournament. It would be a real novelty in that town. So It also, know, it, it also would be out. having the two facilities you could use means that you could, you could stagger the games a lot, right. a lot easier too. have the teams warming up for game two while game one is going on at the other venue. That's right. Um, th yeah, that would be interesting as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it's whatever. You don't run USA football. You no, run, I don't run you USA run football, football, Canada. I run football so Canada. So the next time yeah. Canada's hosting it. 2024. Where's the best place to go? 2024. Well, the best place to go is um, the uh, provincial sporting body that puts the uh, best proposal forward. Uh, and, and there are a number of elements that, that go into that. It's A, which province wants to step up to, to take something like this on because they need to get their ducks in a row too. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to approach the province and get provincial money. They need mm -hmm. to be able to approach the city and get civic money. They need to be able to uh, approach the uh, tourism council in that city. Mm -hmm. They need to uh, approach the hotel association in that city. There are a number, and the university in some cases, in that city for, for, for accommodations as well. So there, there are a number of things, accommodations and fields. So there are a number of, of elements that have to drop into place where uh, the provincial sports organization needs to be really connected into that community and, and working at a high level of efficiency to be a successful host. Now, those are the challenges you need to face in a governing body that is overseeing, what, 10 regional organizations? Mm -hmm. 12, 11, ten, ten, whatever? 10, we don't have any TSOs yet. Yeah, okay. TSOs, territorial sports. Yes, no, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. So you're overseeing 10 organizations. Yeah. USA football is overseeing 50, <laughs> right? So that's, that's they are, next they are, level. They're a, different, they're a different model, right? Uh, anyway, my yeah. point being, 
if you're Football Canada, you should probably be taking the same approach that we're suggesting for the United States, which is targeting an area and approaching them and saying, hey, can you put together a bid for this? So what areas are you targeting? Uh, right now, for the 2024, uh, Alberta, who's very well organized, and Quebec, who's very well organized, are, are in the running for this. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, um, that, that's an IFAF World Championship tournament. We are also looking at uh, a couple of other tournaments since uh, the tournament that you and I did down in Mexico, the U19, um, instead of happening once every two years, is now happening once every four years, mm -hmm. shifting to U20 in mm -hmm. 2024. So Still, uh, still going to be in Australia? No, uh, no, that's, that's the senior championship. Got I'll it. get to that in a second. Okay. Um, so, so it's happening once every four years. All of a sudden, you're seeing flag move into those spaces and, and, and you know, tackle world championships getting pushed out and athletes not getting an opportunity at a, at a global level to compete. Mm -hmm. So Steve Samara uh, suggested to me that, you know, look, we've got to find something for our national junior team at least in the middle of that two-year cycle. Mm -hmm. Uh, so one of the things that I brought forward in some quiet conversations with some national federations was a Four Nations tournament in Canada, but play the damn thing 12 man, mm -hmm. right? And if we can get buy-in from a CFL team or a, a U Sports uh, operation uh, to, to pair up tickets with a season ticket base, we can we can pay for the for the base cost of uh, mm -hmm. of, uh, of a world tournament like that. Great profile for CJEP, great profile for uh, CJFL, great profile for U Sports. Mm -hmm. But I think most importantly, with what the CFL two places trying to that achieve, immediately come to mind for that, by the way, are Hamilton and Ottawa. Yeah, in my uh, opinion, uh, Hamilton, Ottawa, Saskatchewan, Laval. Mm -hmm. I, I think those are. Those are the places that are that that are in play that would be that would be open to that. I might even throw Winnipeg in there as well. But um, you know, if you if you take a look at a place like um, Saskatchewan, for example, they have twenty four thousand season ticket holders, more or less twenty four to twenty six. Mm -hmm. If they're paying twenty dollars in for a, on top of their season ticket for a uh, for a pass mm -hmm. for 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 basically what is a world championship, because if you're talking Mexico, Japan. Canada and the United States, those are known in international football circles, sorry Germany, as the big four. Yeah. Those are the four biggest, most stable, most well-developed yep. uh, organizations uh, in international football. You've basically got yourself a world championship. And what it does, I think, for the CFL, even though um, they're not really a part of this and they're not a member of ours, is it gives the CFL the opportunity uh, for, uh, for them to place these international players onto a Canadian stage. Totally. Playing something that looks like a Canadian game. I would Helps think... Helps with CFL 2.0. Huge, huge. Because then international football players in the international football community can start seeing themselves on that Canadian stage where it becomes a destination. Mm -hmm. It now logically becomes a destination, mm -hmm. right? And they, and they see it wearing their own colors. One, one of the Scandinavian uh, organizations, well, two of them actually that I talked to, I said, instead of sending a, a team Norway, Finland, Sweden, Denmark over, how about putting a team Nordic together? Yeah. On board. They, they, they think it's the, is, is there a bat in here or a, or a bird in here? Yeah, I don't know what that was. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. 
something was flapping around in here. Okay, well, if something bites me on, on the neck, you'll be first to hear about it on the podcast. Oh, you're looking vam very vampiric <laughs> these days, anyway. <laughs> I didn't get much sun in London. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, yeah, they said put a Team Nordic together. So this creates then opportunities for, for the best players out of a region. We have the flexibility that we don't have to run a world championship. Yep. We can pull the best players out of Latin America. We can put a team world oh, together. Can, we can do all kinds of things. You can do a now. Young Stars tournament. Yeah, well. Te a Young Stars far. team, a Team EU. <laughs> right, well, you could put a Team a team Europe together based on, on the skill level, and that gets me to another thing with, uh, with Europe. Um, for, for people that don't know the development model in, in Europe when it comes to uh, gridiron football, it is completely top-down, especially on, on the continent. Um, this, the, these are guys that arrived really late to the game mm -hmm. that decided to take it up uh, as, as, as senior men, mm -hmm. right? And so the idea of safety, <laughs> the discussion around safety, is not present anywhere in that European conversation. I was shocked. There were there were a couple of things that came up around the table where I'm looking at the American guys and they're looking at me and it's like, can you believe that we're having this conversation right now? And safety's not coming up, like playing, you know, the possibility of playing 16-year-olds with, with senior men. Mm. Like, no, no, you don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do that, guys. Thankfully, we shot it down. But, yeah. um, like, they're... they're I can only imagine that for Randy Ambrosi, there are some huge cultural bridges mm -hmm. that, that he's got to cross as he's doing this 2.0 thing. Now, you've kind of alluded to one of the things I wanted to bring out. Was there any chat about, chatter about the uh, that LFA Canadian draft or any of the things going on around that? For starters, for the, I, I said this on social media at the time because this was, I think we missed talking about this last week. This is about a week and a half, two weeks ago now. Yeah. Like for those of you that were trashing all over CFL 2.0, I'm going, oh, what do we get out of this? It's just a sideshow. This is what we get out of this, is opportunities for Canadian kids to go overseas and extend their professional career as well. I wish that this opportunity was available to me when I came out of university, and it wasn't. And I was, I was a guy, CFL was not realistic for me. I was, I was a pretty decent player by the end of my career, but CFL was not realistic for me, so I moved on to something else. But, I mean, LFA might have been. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly, like, I would have been interested to get paid to spend a year in Mexico checking it out. Mm -hmm. You know, it... it and, and so, you know, anything that creates more opportunities for Canadian football players, like, I don't know, the people who thought this was just going to be a one-way thing with us throwing out the welcome mat to international people without anything else happening, like, I, I don't know what world you live in, but... Well, there has to, there has to be something that, that's given back to these organizations. They mm -hmm. have no desire for uh, North American Professional League to come in and pick their best players out yeah. and take them across the ocean and then get nothing in return. Totally. I mean, that that's not going to work. Now... Remember that a number of these European organizations also have experience with NFL Europe and the old World mm -hmm. League. And uh, a, a lot of that interaction and a left lot of them, a bitter taste in their mouths, yeah. and they are suspicious mm -hmm. of somebody with an accent like ours coming, them coming over there and telling them there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Totally. Yeah, and that's why I think Mexico's been on board with this faster than a lot of the European countries have. That being said, a lot of these European professional leagues have been taking Canadian university grads sure. over there for sure. decades now. Sure. Um, so I can see Chris Merchant landing over there even as soon as next year if he doesn't get a fair shot in the CFL. Possibly, yeah. I'm, uh, fortunately, I mean, there's more and more opportunity in the CFL, at least for guys to stick around, get mm -hmm. a look, mm -hmm. you know, be under the tutelage of some of the guys that are, that are actually playing. 
Uh, you know, Michael O'Connor breaks through and gets some some fairly legitimate game action this year. Uh, though it would have been nice if his team didn't wait until their 14th loss to put him on the field. But, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, but there are more opportunities than ever for Canadian quarterbacks to at least spend a little bit of time around the CFL. Um, but I think that's the next hurdle is getting a couple Canadian quarterbacks to the LFA, for example. Mm -hmm. um, because I think we saw, not to overgeneralize based on just seeing essentially two guys throw the ball, but I, I think there's room for Canadian quarterbacks in the LFA based on the quality of quarterbacking that we saw. I would prefer to send quarterbacks to Germany or Austria or Finland or, or Sweden. Billy Green went to Sweden, of mm -hmm. course. Jordan Heather went to France. I think Billy spent a year in France too, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did as well. Um, the but you know, for instance, uh, the when, when I brought up Sean Olson's name with mm -hmm. the Europeans, Sean Olson is a rock god in Europe. Yeah, at least in those little football circles, everybody knows Sean Olson, mm. right? There's a great the, the old Vienna Vikings legend. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. he is a legend over there. Like when when I when I dropped Sean's name to the to the head of the Austrian uh, uh, Football Federation, he I, like he was he was quiet, he was reticent, and then I couldn't get him to stop talking about Sean and Vienna and Euro Bowls and <laughs> how he did everything as a as a coach quarterback and how he pulled uh, Austrian players over to to North America for training. Mm -hmm. We talked about Bern Dietrich, the uh, quarterback at mm -hmm. Simon Fraser, who yep. unfortunately uh, passed away going into his senior year, and yep. you know. That, that, that there, there was a real connection. And I can see where Randy is going with 2.0 in that when you forge those, those connections and build those bridges, have that relationship and build that dialogue, mm -hmm. you know, that's a positive thing. But you're not going to do it necessarily up at the professional level. And it is a professional level in Europe. You're gonna do it by exposing their youth and their kids yep. to learning opportunities and putting them on a big stage mm -hmm. and giving their, their national programs some energy to attract more players mm -hmm. uh, to, 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 to the game in places like, you know, Sweden and Finland and Germany and right yep. across the board, right? Yep. And, and that's something that I think is, is uh, currently missing from 2.0. And that, that, was a, that, that was some of the feedback that I got from some of the... Uh, from some of the European leaders as well. Like, you know, it's like, okay, there's this focus over here. What is, you know, Football Canada, what is your relationship with them? Like, why haven't you been part of this discussion? And, you know, this, so- Well, so, yeah, I so, mean, that's, but, that's but its in, own- it, But, but in, fairness, in fairness to Randy, he, he, saw, he saw an issue, he knew he had to pursue it, and he just ran in there and started to try to make things happen. So points to him for that. Yeah. But, you know, in ter I know a number of It's a of big these idea in a league that hasn't had a lot of big ideas. That's right. You need a big idea every now and then. Yep. Uh, a number of these international uh, leaders are going to be at the Grey Cup. They're going to be flowing over for the Grey Cup. And are we going to be at the Grey Cup? You did talk about that at one point. Uh, I'm going to be at the Grey Cup for Football Canada. I, I mean, I, I, I could pay for your bus ticket. <laughs> I hear Swoop flies out there for like 10 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If... if the plan actually lands. <laughs> I phone swoop actually. Honestly, not bad. I was I was pleasantly surprised uh, compared to like for example, I've flown a Legion Air down to Vegas, mm -hmm. which is like the cheap American one, mm -hmm. and it's a freaking sardine can. Yeah. Uh, swoop is more or less the same airplane experience you'll get, except all the extras you're paying for all all of the extras, like mm -hmm. right down to choosing your seat. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, like what you get 
if you're willing to just take random draw as to what your seat is, I what you get. I'm not willing to do that. Yeah, fair enough. I, I fly too much, though. I yeah. fly too much. Well, I, I, I'm too cheap to. <laughs> well, I, I had a bunch of leftover WestJet dollars, and so I took my business class ticket and bumped it up to Pod on, yeah. on the way from Toronto to London. Nice. It was, I think I put on about six pounds just with the food they, they fed me on, on that particular link. I had to do that because I had my partner with me, though. Right. It was Kia's birthday, and I'd do something special for her. Right. So we bumped up to pot on points and cash and all that, nice. and I was a hero. There you go, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're always a hero. Always a hero. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I, I anyway, highly recommend uh, Swoop. I can't speak to, what's Air Canada's version of it? Uh, Rouge. Yeah, Rouge. I can't speak to Rouge. I haven't done it, but Swoop I would highly recommend uh, I, in terms I, of bang for your buck. I, I, fl I flew Rouge. Uh, Rouge isn't necessarily Swoop. It's it's a, it's a little bit higher than that. You get assigned seating, and there is a front cabin on some of the larger planes. I, I, uh, I flew them down to uh, Mexico mm. in the front cabin. That's okay. Yeah. I, I, I think my worst experience, Sunwing was my worst experience. Sunwing yeah. was my worst experience. Pleather. Pleather seats. Nice. Pleather seats are the worst. I uh yeah, I've heard I've heard some uh, some horror stories with Sunwing. I've heard some good stories with Sunwing, but I've heard some horror stories. I had an ex that used to work as a flight attendant for them and yeah, anyway. No, I, um, I remember bringing that up and you were defending Sunwing at the time when you were seeing that ex. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you, yeah. You, were, you, were, you were right in there defending Sunwing, but now you can freely admit mm. crap all along. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I guess we're not we're not pushing for a corporate sponsorship for that one, but yeah, as long as you're willing to fly the uh, Sunwing doesn't fly to Saskatoon. Say, as long as you're willing to fly the obscure <laughs> routes like the uh, my my Abbotsford to Hamilton trip that I did with Swoop. Wow. Uh, you're good. That is but, obscure. Whew. Good service all the way through. Honestly, fly smaller airports. They're fantastic. Oh, I like smaller airports. I, I like I like Saskatoon. Uh, I like Regina. I don't mind flying out of Abbotsford because I, I like don't Abbotsford. break the bank by parking the car there. Yep. And they got a little nice micro pub there yep. in the airport too. Kelowna's okay. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever done Kelowna. I've done Kamloops. Kamloops yeah. is good. Anyway, uh, we're getting way London. off track. Here. Anyway, uh, Hamilton. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Hamilton, much like Hamilton's most of Hamilton. like Gatwick. I was gonna... Hamilton's a small version of Gatwick. That's what it is. <laughs> See, How's much, that for a Much like back? most of Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> Oski wee wee. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back back to back to international football. So we have been talking about like a twelve man tournament cool. uh, in Canada in between those uh, those World Championships. And I think it does pave the way to find a way to get us on the TV, find a way to get a base for, uh, for sponsorship. It will take a lot of work. It will take um, some tireless hours. And uh, it's something that for Football Canada, since we're so, so short-staffed, I don't want to you know, dump it on the staff either. They, they do enough in terms of yep. you know, U16s and regionals and flag tournaments, Canadian Flag League. But you, you name it. What an exciting you know. opportunity for us to share our version of the game with the world. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, all the all the CFL, uh, you know, the intense CFL fans that are all about the Canadian game. Like this is what a great opportunity for people to see our version of it, and and you know, for people to see, wow, this is this is pretty fun. So, what rules? Because you're dealing with U20s here. Yep. What rules would you sacrifice the first time that that you would do this? I. I was talking to someone from from Australia. It's and his response: ah, three downs. They won't do three downs. 
like no, no four downs. Like he was, he was. To he, be he, honest he, with he, you, he, at yeah. that level, yeah. I would do, I would do four downs. I mean, yeah. we see certain high school leagues in Ontario that do that kind of hybrid yeah. rule set, yeah. where it's essentially Canadian ball but with four downs. I would definitely do that just for the encouragement of offense. Yeah. So, um, so four downs, and you know what? For the sake of safety, at this level, uh, because no yards. You have to grow up with it. Yep. You have to understand it. Yep. When the ball bounces back at you, it's thoroughly confusing. Uh, I would go with the American punting rules. Fair enough. I don't know about that. I know yards is not that difficult to, to adapt to. Having done so, coming from Canadian high school ball to or American so? high school you, ball. You don't think there's a, there's, a, there's a risk there? I mean, yeah, there's a risk with everything. There's also well, a risk. Right, you know, there's also a risk with Canadians. There's also a risk with Canadians watching guys fair catch for the first time in their lives. That's true, right? Like, That's true. So Canadians, it, the, the, it is a truism, though. Can right? I say? That, can that I say it's one easier thing? to go from Canadian ball to American ball? We haven't really uh, for for whole teams. We haven't really tested this yet, though. For for uh, American ball to go to Canadian ball, like the only place that we really tested it was the Shrumble. Yeah. And that was a long time ago now. It's true. Um, one thing I would like to keep from the Canadian game, which is, a, to be honest, is a rule change that I wish Americans would make, is uh, punters, are, punters are eligible to recover their own punt. Yeah, I like that. Creates I, a sense of urgency. Totally. And, and <laughs> plus, imagine putting that rule into the American game with some of the minds working the American game mm -hmm. and seeing some of the stuff that they cook up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It would be fantastic. To have punters and anybody on side behind the punt, too. Yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. I, I just worry about in a in a tie game or a one point game, uh, an international team responding to a kick that goes into the end zone by taking a knee. <laughs> it, by it, taking the, the the return kick, like there there are so many little wrinkles within the Canadian game. Mm -hmm. That could be like just the way the clock works. Yeah, maybe simplifying the kicking, just you know. all around simplifying the kicking might be better. Yeah. Um, you know, your rouge only applies on a missed field goal mm -hmm. or a kick that goes directly out of bounds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. What, what, what else would you take a look at? I don't know that there's anything. I don't think there's anything outside of that. I, I I love the the the, the you, motion. You gotta do the you gotta do the yard. You gotta have waggle. Yeah. Um. You know where the where the uprights are placed. You could do uh, one thing. You may want to do is cut the end zones down to ten in terms of depth. I'll let them run around back there. Yeah. Fair enough. Um. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, the sanctity of the Canadian end zone doesn't exist anyway. You look at most of these college venues that have the corners cut out for a track like <laughs> well edmonton years ago used to have the corners cut off for the track but then made their deadline deeper to compensate for it oh yeah but that, that that used to happen and actually in a number of canadian you teams. know it was the worst you, you probably know where i'm going with this the worst was the old stadium at the university of manitoba oh, which had zones. 10 yards Mondo of grass zones had 10 yards of grass and then 10 yards of rubberized track surface. I, th I, th I think you're being, I think you're being generous. Yeah, I, think, I, th I, I think it was three yards of grass and then Mondo end zones. Yeah, it was And the awful. other, the other thing with that Manitoba field were the sprinklers. Yeah. The, 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 like, like they were freaking hazards all over the uh -huh. place. I remember them being spray paint marked. <laughs> was bright orange spray paint? Well, what else? What else was hazardous in my only career trip to that stadium was the officiating. Well, but yeah, I was, you remember that one, Fibbit? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people remember that one Shopping. only because I was screaming at the field as a play-by-play -play announcer. I 
kind of lost my professional decorum on that, but it was, uh, yeah, that was bizarre. Um, worst fields that you've played at? That one. That one? Is, oh, there, that anything, one, that is one, there anything else that That ranks? one tops the list. You couldn't, you couldn't stand up straight coming out of the tunnel. Yeah. You had to duck going out of the tunnel because the clearance <laughs> was five and a half feet. It was brutal. The dressing rooms were dark and dank. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm telling you, like, it was, I'm going to guess it was only slightly better for the home team. Like, yeah. I didn't see what their locker room was, yeah. but I, I can just about guarantee that any University of Manitoba grad out there would tell you, like, yeah, it was freaking brutal. Did you ever go to, to the old kind of equipment clubhouse that they had at Manitoba? Mm, it was literally no. a tin shack. No, I don't think. I remember seeing it, though. Shack. It was adjacent to the stadium, yeah. wasn't it? I remember seeing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, Winnipeg before the stadium change was like the most miserable road destination. And then after, once they moved into IGF, I quite enjoyed going to, Min to Winnipeg. We had a good little hotel there that we stayed mm -hmm. at. Um, yeah, we would always go, our thing was when we would go to Winnipeg, we'd always go, the Value Village was just like across the street from mm -hmm. our hotel. We'd always go on a run to Value Village and try and find the tackiest shirt that we could find <laughs> in Value Village for our souvenir from our trip to Winnipeg. So yeah, I had a couple good ones in the bottom of the closet from that one. Uh, couple yeah. fishing, couple fishing themed ones. Figured that was pretty Manitoba, but um, that's that's got to be uh, worse that I can think of yeah, by far. I, I think they've stepped it up somewhat when it comes to facilities. The other one that Canada. I hated going to in the Canada West was Footfield in Edmonton, yeah. and our our locker room facilities were good, yeah. but the field itself was just horrific. Oh, that was when it was like a Brillo pad. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, that was before they got they, the turf so in there. They got the, the turf story in there was, for, the, for the field hockey. Yeah, the story yeah. there was that they tried to compromise and make something that would work for both field hockey and football, mm -hmm. and they went with something kind of in the middle. And from what I understand, both sports hated it. Yeah. For field hockey, it was it, too it, thick and, and didn't work for them. It was literally like one of those uh, green pads that you buy as a pot scrubber. Yeah. That that was that, oh, that was, was the texture that... And, and they had sewn in lines that through the winter had... had Popped all their stitches. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the lines were raised. Yeah, it, it, it was a it was, disaster. It was, it was not uncommon for a guy to trip over a line on the field. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> but I remember after playing on that field, like, my lower body would just ache. Mm -hmm. And I was an offensive lineman. Mm -hmm. and, and I took a lot of pounding anyway, but you add that surface into it, and I remember my knees and ankles just aching after playing on that surface. Uh, it was, like it was the terrible. old BC Play Stadium turf. Yeah, well, that's the, just the, the it. Like, old, I, old stuff. We're, I'm right at the tail end of the AstroTurf generation, yeah. and that, like, I played on AstroTurf as a youth kid growing up. I never played on it full size. I can't imagine doing it. The, 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 Empire, the Empire Stadium turf, you talk to a lot of the old timers. Hmm. Uh, Al Wilson, the former center for the BC Lions in the 70s and 80s, used to have season's tickets right beside me at, at Lions games. Yep. And he told me of the story one day at practice. He looked down at this carpet peeling up, but it was all green, and he went down to, to scratch it, and it was actually asphalt painted green where the turf had peeled up. And the turf at Empire Stadium was maybe about an eighth of an inch to a quarter inch yeah, picture, at the end of the day. Yeah, picture those little putting green turfs that you yeah. put down in an executive office these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it had a 22-inch crown on it, too. So if you were sitting in row one yeah, you at Empire see Stadium... Yeah, yeah. And, and my parents always was, used yeah, to tell me that. Somebody was on the opposite uh, yeah. sideline. All you could see was from about the numbers up to the yeah, head. No, it was for drainage purposes, I understand. Yeah. But uh, yeah, my parents used to tell me those stories about Empire Stadium all the time. Yeah. Still, like one of those like classic Canadian things. It was objectively terrible, but still beloved in this town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, and, and you know what? I really believe one of the things that hurt the BC Lions, outside of demographic shifts in the region, 
was going to that temporary Empire Stadium mm -hmm. and having people discover tailgating because yep. tailgating was fun at that place, the PE. Yeah. And we were outdoors and you Honestly, could see I the mountains. It. it was this little, could, it was yeah. this cheap little aluminum tin can stadium, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. You could make those bleachers rattle. Yeah. You had the mountains right there. I was in, we had season Roller tickets for one of those seasons. Yeah right on the like in the front row in the end zone mm -hmm. and you were literally like you're sitting there and you could look over the railing and look directly down onto the back line of the end zone mm -hmm. there was no mm -hmm. they, you actually it was open underneath mm -hmm. so that's where the dead space was mm -hmm. but basically you were on the field mm -hmm. it was fantastic mm -hmm. one of the best fan experiences i've ever had as a football fan mm -hmm. and you, you knew it was going to end and don't get me wrong new bc place is beautiful great stadium great beautiful. facility fantastic state of the art but just, it, but, just not but, suitable for the Lions. It just lacks soul and angle for football. Uh, speaking of, I don't, I don't think so. I think if you get a good crowd in that place, it just doesn't suit the Lions because of the demographics in the area. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that stadium for football. I really don't. I think there are too many wasted seats from the goal line through the end zone. It's built like a freaking hockey rink. Uh, yeah, you got to build maybe. up on the sides for football. If anything, if if, if a new owner were to come in with the money, the, the tarps would go up in the end zones, and yep. the curtain would go up in between the goal lines, and I just sell between the goal lines in that place because the upper deck and the first ten rows Honestly, might be might be the best view for football in that whole stadium, yeah. and they don't even sell those tickets. Yeah. I would put, to be honest, I would put a freaking TV backdrop at the end of the end zone and just close off that whole space. Yeah. Put the curtains right up there yep. and just make it a little bit more intimate that would be really cool mm -hmm. um speaking of the lions uh another one and done head coach for the bc lions that's now if you remove wally bono from the equation mm -hmm. that's now three bc lions head coaches in five years two one and duns in the last two head coaches mm -hmm. the lions have had not named wally bono mm -hmm. um like what what do you what do you think on this move uh ed herbie's the one that should have paid um, and, and Ed Hervey and Tori Hunter have done an abysmal job in terms of finding talent, and it's only going to get tougher for them going into this offseason, yes. competing with the XFL. Totally. Um, and, and I think that there are some stories surfacing now and some that I had kind of heard before uh, Clayburg's got his walking papers that there was some concern about the decorum of some of the coaches mm -hmm. on their on and off days. Um, but around the, town. But, but the general but, manager let it happen. The exactly. general manager let the coach exactly. put a rookie crew together outside of Rich Stubler. Yep. And the general manager, like, ultimately the accountability's got to go up to that level. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like this was more about, and I know that there are some people out there very much not happy about this decision, and I'm... I'm kind of on the fence about it in that I see the reasons for the decision. I don't think it's a good look for the organization. But that being said, like, it, it sounds like it kind of had to happen for reasons well beyond what was going on on the football field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've heard those things, too. Um, now, that being said, you know, back to the old coaching surgeon. By the way, one of the hot rumors going around town is that they're, they're going to make a big push for Jason Moss. Please, no. Well, <laughs> let's, let's not even get into that. Give me, like, for what reason would Jason Moss come here? Yeah. For starters, his, he's got a quarterback and an offensive staff in Edmonton. His quarterback just threw for a 97% completion percentage in a playoff game. 97! 34 for 35. Why would he leave that? The only connection he has here is Ed Hervey. 
Other than that, he's got an organization that isn't as well supported, has a shaky ownership situation, is talent inferior to where he's leaving, and certainly doesn't have the pockets to give him significantly more money. Why, like, what is, what is going on in some people's heads that they think I, that this is realistic? I, I think it was 92.7. I think he was 34, 37 for 413. Okay, okay uh, threw a couple but, but incompletions still, in but the still, Yeah, threw a couple incompletions in well, the Well, and there was yeah. a tip ball that turned into an interception that yeah. gave Montreal life in that game. Yeah. Uh, but still, in a playoff game, are you kidding me? On the road? Uh, in a in a two time with, zones over with a with a well supported Montreal team on that day with a yeah. crowd that was making noise that 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 is phenomenal yeah that is phenomenal anyway point being why the hell would he leave like uh, if you think that Jason Moss is coming to Vancouver like I got a bridge to sell you yeah. it's not friggin happening yeah. yeah there's no way well I'm just I'm not necessarily a fan of. Jason Moss's sideline presence, nor his uh, game management is terrible. Game management, decorum with the media. That being said, like, all those things. That being said, like so is, so is Mike O'Shea's. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Like there's a, there's a lot of good Canadian football coaches that for whatever reason their game management is awful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no no question about so. it. Uh, speaking of game management biting one in the ass, I think that happened to Rick Campbell earlier this year, and then the Red Blacks kind of slid into oblivion. That, to me, is a more realistic yeah. uh, result for, for BC. I mean, the other guy, I don't think that they would go here, but the other guy that, whose name's kind of popped up as well is Mike Benavides. Yeah. Um, I don't think they would go back there, but that's kind of interesting. He worked with Ed Hervey in Edmonton at one point in time. Um, but but the, the, like, even beyond Ed Hervey, the question is David Braley. Totally. Like it, it, it certainly seems apparent to anyone looking that we've gone through through this show and this process that David Braley likes to go through, mm -hmm. saying the team's for sale. He wants local ownership. Uh, ownership hasn't stepped up. There's four or five interested parties. Mm -hmm. It then dies out, and then he's back for another year. Th this is rinse and repeat for the last ten years. It's really hard because the CFL needs to get involved in that situation and to broker and kind of push him to sell, but he has such a cachet and legacy built up with what he's done for the league over the years that it's a really, really difficult position for them to get into to try and push him, basically push him out. Well, and, and they only have um, so many individuals that really can man the deck right now. Yeah. And there's two situations, the, the Montreal sale, is something that that is probably very front and center right now mm -hmm. uh, with the uh, with the CFL. Office. Well, and, and somebody brought and up Montreal. Halifax. By the way, just when we were talking about head coaching candidates. Somebody brought up from Montreal uh, that like Harry Jones isn't under contract for next year either. No, that guy, long history here in BC, did a brilliant job in Montreal. If he decides that the ownership situation isn't something he wants to be a part of, I'd say he jumps pretty close to the front of the list here too. Well, and then, and then in terms of ownership, the, there was something that was brought up in one quarter. Uh, LaPointe? No, with, no, um, no. with no. the uh, potential owners of the Halifax franchise, if the, if the vote comes down the way many people think it will, about the uh, stadium proposal in Halifax, mm -hmm. they could come to BC and, and buy the BC Lions. Oh, interesting. Well, sorry, so they, they think that that... Stadium's getting struck down, and we're not going to see the Atlanta uh, franchise. The, the people, the people that I've talked to, who were from Atlanta, Canada, and were somewhat connected with what's going on there, uh, some still remain hopeful, mm -hmm. but most are really pessimistic right now. What's and what's the issue with the proposal? Well, the, the, how it's the, being the, funded. The, the, 
Basically, basically, you know, the city gets 300 uh, or so uh, days to use for the uh, for the community, but the city also has to pay in um, a fair bit of money. I think it's about a million a year to to maintain the facility, but they don't own the facility. It's a P3, uh, and there's there, there's a few other uh, gaps in it. So, if if they truly want a partnership in this, you know, the city has got to come out owning something totally of this facility not not just access to the uh, facility and, and, if they're putting money into it and, I, I can understand. and trying to set up trying to set up one of those bent over a barrel type stadium deals does not reflect well in the cfl no we have seen more and more in recent years that cities are starting to push back on this yeah time and, it's terrible for this yeah and and it does not reflect well in the cfl i mean we are so we're so lucky in this city with the facilities that we have because both what's now called rogers arena and bc place our uh, Rogers Arena was entirely funded by private funds and BC Place is owned by the provincial government, mm -hmm. right? So we are really fortunate here in, in Vancouver in that we have one on either end of the spectrum. There's nothing that's taken advantage of the taxpayers in this area, though maybe the people on the uh, opposite side of the roof replacement for BC Place might take different. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was a decision made by the government. Longer. It wasn't a decision dictated by the Vancouver Whitecaps mm -hmm. or the BC Lions. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, and you can also argue about the viability of facilities when you take a look at, uh, at the hockey rink in this town mm. uh, being funded by uh, private money because it kind of broke the person who, who funded it, which is Arthur Griffiths. Arthur, Arthur Griffiths, after a number of years, after putting his money where his mouth was and financing that, that, that facility, mm. was out of ownership in that, of that facility after about six or seven years. I mean, it was it was a bad time to sell the franchise, but given the, the current market at the time, he did get a pretty decent payoff he, from he, that franchise. Yeah, he, did, he did okay, but th yeah. he wanted to hold on. Fair enough. That they, it was, you know, it, it's... But the Aquilinis were, were smart in that they took a look at the parcels of land around that... Uh, <laughs> this is before we went hyper-density in this town and started to build skyscrapers around it. So, yep. And they made all their money back. Yep, they did. Y'all, they're yeah, they'll they'll be doing just fine if they if and when they ever decide. I I would I would be shocked. Like I I believe that uh, Frankie Eccoli is holding on to that that franchise until the day he dies. Mm -hmm. That would be my that would be my personal mm -hmm. opinion. I I wonder then. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, ownership sharing in Toronto with the Argonauts. They're part of MLSE. Yep. We've seen it in Calgary. Yeah. With the uh, with the the Flames and the Stampeders, mm -hmm. uh, we've seen it in Ottawa with the Red Blacks, the Sixty Sevens, and the recently OS. shuttered Ottawa Fury. OSE or whatever. Uh, yeah, OSEGO said. Um, is there is there uh, what sort of upside is there in this particular town of Vancouver? for the Vancouver Canucks owning the BC Lions. So, I mean, that's a name that's been mentioned a lot when the ownership search has been talked about in this town, and it makes a lot of sense. From what I've heard, though, like, he's kind of sniffed around a couple times yes, couple and basically, times. basically been told to pony up or get out of here. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, like, the thing that frustrates me so much about this situation is that it, it seems like Mr. Braley really wants to have his cake and eat it too. He does not want to compromise on the, on the, on the value he gets from it. Mm -hmm. He does not want to compromise on who gets the team mm -hmm. and he does not want to compromise on time frame and it's just like <laughs> you got to compromise somewhere because yeah. what you have right now is you have a depreciating asset that you refuse to sell for the depreciated amount the energy's gone from the building 
Yeah, and, and yep. it's not. There's there's no signs of it turning around. And uh, short of getting in another generational character to, to invigorate the market, like a Bob... Uh, Bob Ackles. Bob Ackles. Yep. Thank you. I was going to say yep. Ackley. Jesus. No. No, no, Sorry, you're, Bob. You're, 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 thinking, you're thinking Seattle there with Ackley. But yeah. anyway, go on. Anyway, um, with, with Bob Ackles, and unless you find another Bob Ackles, which, uh, newsflash, they don't grow on trees. Like, it's not turning around. And, and that's nothing against... Uh, Rick, uh, what's his name, Lalashur La mm -hmm. or something like that, mm -hmm. who's the current uh, current uh, operating officer mm -hmm. of the Lions. Mm -hmm. I think they've done a really good job since he's come into place. But yeah, it's they've just, done some good it's, things. It's not enough. Yeah. And, well, and it probably won't ever be enough. Yeah. It, it, I, I think it has to be the Canucks or it has to be someone that everybody recognizes. Ron Toygo? Ron Toygo hates football. Ron Toygo will never own the BC Lions. Yeah. I work for Ron. I, I know. Yeah. I, yeah. I know yeah. that. I know that. He's got no, like, he's hockey through and through. Yeah. And, uh, right? yeah. and he's junior hockey through and through. Yeah. And what, what he's done with the, with the junior team here and the patience that he showed at times has been quite impressive. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the reasons. I, it's interesting now that the Canucks are starting to turn the corner a little bit. I feel like people are starting to soften their stance on the Aquilinis, at least as owners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I mean, the it's one funny thing... how time changes things. Well, the one thing that's never been in question for the Aquilinis is their passion about the franchise and the, the investment they put into it. Mm -hmm. And those are two things that are sorely lacking from the BC Lions and have been for quite a bit of time. Or at least that's the perception. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, from ownership, at yeah. least. I mean, yeah. I'm sure... I don't know. I, I don't want to sell David Bradley short, but it, it, anyway, that's what, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people are like, oh, it would be so great if the Aquilini's own this team. Um, so who knows, right? Right? It, it just... Well, it doesn't look like it's going to be happening for next year. No, it's it's not going to be happening for next year. No. It's There's not enough movement on it yet. There's no way that's going to happen. Although that being said, sometimes these things just come out of nowhere and next thing you know, they're done like that. But mm -hmm. I, to be honest, like, you know, uh, Braley's in his late 80s by now. Like, I think he's 78. Oh, is he not even 80 I, yet? I, I okay. think he's 78, but he did have a bad health scare about... Uh, a little less than a year ago. Really bad one, actually. But he yeah. recovered from it. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's... If his... I mean, the problem, problem is, though, with his health scares and the fact that he's based in Ontario, like, he hasn't even been seen out here in, like, three years. No. You know, and that that's just... You can't have that. So, I don't know. It's... It, it At is least we all knew where Ralph Wilson was. Yeah. With the Bills, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, you know, he was there. He was, he was present. Yes, so. he was. Yeah. Um, so we, we've solved uh, just about nothing when it comes to the CFL. Uh, I think we've got a few good ideas out there when it comes to um, global football. Uh, you know, I'd love to see a World 12-man championship. We'll try our best to, to bring that around. We uh -huh. need some uh, uh, partners to invest in it. Uh, do you think it's something that could capture the imagination of Canadians in a June or July? If you see a Team Canada playing a Team Japan, on I think that's the only time of year that you can platform yeah, it. Yeah. Or maybe maybe a little bit earlier into late spring, but I think June or July you can get some of the school kids involved and stuff like that, and you, and you can probably have some success with it. But um, anyway, uh, look, we're, we keep an eye south of the line. We we always on the podcast side. It seems we just talk north of the line. Who are some of the top names? Uh, Canadian names to keep an eye on coming out of the States for the CFL draft. Because one guy came up on our show this week that is flying under the radar. I wouldn't say he's a top name. Like, this isn't a guy that's going to go first or second round, but a guy that I could see having a, a long, successful CFL career is Dante Brown, mm -hmm. the uh, the place kicker at uh, 
Fort Hayes State in Kansas, but mm -hmm. he's he's kicked uh, upwards of 30 field goals this season. He's got a very good accuracy number. He's at a small enough school. I just don't see him getting a look at the NFL. But D2 Special Teams Player of the Year last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, the the one offensive lineman that that I was tracking that I really like, who's a natural guard, is is a guy out of Buffalo. Uh, who started since his freshman year is Thomas Jack Cordilla. Mm -hmm. um, th that, that's a guy that I think when you take a look at uh, the, uh, the type of body he has, the skill set he has, the durability that he has, is one of these guys that you could plug into guard on a CFL offensive line and he will be there 14 years later. Totally. Yeah, I, I, th I, I think if, if, I know there's other offensive linemen that are ranked higher than him, He'd be my guy that, yeah. that, that I would pick in the first round. Yeah, a uh, bit of a bowling ball figure. Reminds yeah. me of a uh, like a Suk Chung with a little bit less length. Yeah. Um, really strong player, lots of game experience. Um, might have to do some adaptation given that he's played four years in the American game as an interior guy. Mm -hmm. That's always a little bit of a challenge, but um, certainly one with a lot of potential. I mean, I don't know who's going to come out this year is the biggest challenge, right? You, you just... One, one guy I was thinking of is, is Dejan Brissett, who's completely flown under the radar because he hasn't managed to break his way through the uh, lineup in Virginia yep. as, a, as a graduate senior. Um, you can't ignore uh, his numbers at Richmond. Uh, no. I, I, you know, unfortunately for him, he had an injury in training camp. I believe it was a hamstring. Uh, delayed his launch by about three or four games at the front end of the season. Uh, he's been out there in, in, in the rotation as a as a as a as a secondary receiver when when Virginia's got the upper hand in some games, but he mm -hmm. just has not produced. But um, at, at Richmond, at that level, he he was prolific. He was uh, there was a point about eight weeks into the season in 2017 where he was uh, leading BCS in all-purpose yards. I yep. mean, uh, 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 he, he here's a guy that in my opinion when i look at him and where he's going to go in the draft he's like uh, lamar durant yep uh, I, I i see him as being that guy give him a chance give him a chance to go in there develop a little bit sure, yeah. he will become that dependable guy for you yeah uh, i agree um the i would say the other you got guy one more because adam came in here and actually gave us a wrap-up sign which was which was you got one more guy uh i can't believe you haven't mentioned him already but isaac Berglund. There, oh, there's oh yeah, guy, yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking about him on the way in, too. There's he's, a guy he's past Mason Bennett, in my mind, as a, as a defensive line prospect. Completely. Yeah. Uh, if I'm, like, and I'm, I'm a BC Lions fan, yeah. their, their pass rush is struggling a little bit. Uh, hopefully they can bring back Sean Lemon, but, you know, Odell Willis looks like he's probably at the end of the line. Yeah. They haven't had a good Canadian rusher since Brent Johnson, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, there's yeah, a guy that... has got links. And there's a guy that yeah. I love, love, love the Lions to do because not only is he does he have the body type, he is a pass rush specialist. Mm -hmm. um, now, problem is he's probably played himself into a, a decent NFL look at this point in time. Yep. But there's a guy that I would be scrambling all over, whether it's depending on his NFL prospects, whether it's in the first round or in the second or third round. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, take it, take a futures flyer on him like you did with a, I don't know, a Christian Covington mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, I would absolutely love my team to have their hands on this guy because I think I think that he can be a really, really good CFLer. We're in Cam Wakes, 91.
So, okay, that'll do it for uh, an edition of uh, the Crown Gridiron Nation uh, podcast. We will be back next week to uh, recap the Canadian Bowl. I'm going to be at, at the Canadian Bowl next coming week wow saskatoon in november that's the dream no no it's it's in oh it's here okay well i guess i have to go too then yeah yeah i guess i'll (laughs) see you there i live 10 minutes from the ballpark so they'll they'll, they'll, they'll charge you ten dollars to go in there you're not you're not a nationally recognized figure yet uh (laughs) and um and we'll also uh talk about the bowl games north of the border and then whatever happens south of the line as well i'm jim mullen he's gord randall that's it for another week